Hi, and welcome back to the Convergently Speaking podcast. The topic for today is making the unconscious conscious. This is part two. last episode I kept it fairly conceptual and yeah I just I was really framing the idea of the unconscious and and what that can look like so today I wanted to drill down a bit more and try and make things more concrete than I did last episode something I've been learning over the last numbers of years is that people tend to exist on a spectrum of uh, how high level and conceptual to how grounded and fact-based they like things. And as you may have guessed, I'm at the pretty extreme end of the uh, theoretical side of the continuum. But I'm also really passionate about applicability. Whilst I... I love the conceptual. I also like to see these ideas applied in concrete ways that can transform lives, that do transform lives, that that help people in in just their day-to-day happenings or their day-to-day relationships, work situations and that kind of thing. So I've tried to brainstorm at least just a few ideas of where I've seen in my own life examples of impulses or things that were running unconsciously have become conscious, become known. Like, you know, I want to talk about myself, you know, when when I've had situations where Things I didn't realize I knew, I all of a sudden knew in a conscious way. So the first idea I want to talk about regarding this, and it's a little bit conceptual to begin with, is the the idea of projection. And I'm not sure for you listening in what your level of knowledge is around the idea of projection. Projection is a common phrase that we hear in society, but Really, it's a bit more of a technical psychology or psychoanalytic term. But in short, projection is when we look out of ourselves and we look to another, another person or some sort of an external circumstance and put the blame or put the responsibility onto them or even just observe something in them which is happening for us. So it's it's the it's the typical example of the the loud, angry, impatient person who always seems to complain that everyone else is loud, angry, and impatient. This is a really you know, simplistic example to just give you give you the idea. And what's going on here is for this person, there's an unconscious, they're they're unconscious of what's happening for them internally. They're not sitting there going, well, I'm all these things. So to deflect 
the attention off of me, let me go and find that in someone else and blame them. But that is essentially what is often happening in these situations. People feel uncomfortable or self-conscious and so they project and deflect attention onto others. And we all do this. We all project. Now, one of the best systems from my perspective for becoming conscious of our projections, becoming conscious of those impulses in ourself that we tend to habitually find in others is the Enneagram. So I know I've alluded to the Enneagram before without digging in, um, but I wanted to at least give you a concrete example from my own life as being someone who identifies as an Enneagram number one. Now I've worked out that I was a number one well over a decade ago now, I'm not exactly sure when. And the original Enneagram book that I was reading, it talked about our root sin, or in more recent books, I've enjoyed the language of our, our fixation and the mechanisms behind why a person of that personality type operates in the way they do. And for an Enneagram One, they say that there's a, a deep-rooted and unconscious anger that resides in the One. And a lot of Enneagram teachers talk about this flavor of anger being like a resentment. It's not an overt expressed anger usually, but more suppressed, uh, bubbling beneath the surface, uh, almost like an, an, an energetic impulse that, that, that remains there. And for the number one, especially a person that hasn't journeyed with the Enneagram, they're not usually aware that that, that that is there. And what does this anger relate to? Well, the anger relates to the fact that for a one, when they look out into the world, when they interact with the world, and even when they look inside, they see an inherent imperfection. They're angry because when they look at the world, the world's not perfect. And so there can be this impulse or this drive to fix and repair and improve and um, sort out, uh, straighten all the lines and get everything in perfect order and keep everything nice and predictable and symmetrical and time orientated and, and moral and above board and all these kinds of things. Now, when this impulse to change and improve is applied in a healthy and conscious manner, you can end up with reformers such as Gandhi, who saw the issues with British colonization of his country and who fueled his nonviolent protests and nonviolent actions through this, this deep-seated anger or resentment that, ah, Things aren't as they should be, and I'm going to bloody well do something about it. And so it can be really harnessed for good. Um, and I should have said that, that, you know, generally speaking, people think of Gandhi as a one. Uh, I can't be sure. I didn't meet him. But it definitely resonates with the type of life that we see him living. Highly self-controlled, quite moralistic, uh, and very focused. So one, when they have a mission, 
can really make a phenomenal impact on the world. So how does this relate to me and making the unconscious conscious? So I'd already known that I was an Enneagram 1 for quite a few years when I got married back in 2010. And, and throughout my journey over the next few years, I started to become aware of a pattern through understanding the Enneagram and basically the things that could trip me up as a one. I started to become aware of the pattern that if I didn't feel satisfied or fulfilled in my life or things were stressful or a bit chaotic, I had this impulse to start becoming quite fastidious and quite nitpicky about tidiness and cleanliness. And at this time, I was studying and my wife, Caitlin, was working more. So I was around the house quite a bit. And I would find myself on days when I was stressed or just not feeling centered, I'd be more annoyed that some dishes hadn't been done or other little niggly things. And what I realized I was doing was that I was projecting this anger that things weren't perfect into a very micro situation. I was trying to find a sense of stability and control in my own life by making everything tidy and neat and orderly in my own little world. You know, if the dishes are done and clean and dry and they're all sitting in their place in the cupboard, in the drawer where they're meant to be, I feel a little bit more congruent. So I became aware of an unconscious drive to fix things up and to try and improve things when I was stressed. And what this did was I stopped projecting onto Caitlin my a bit of passive aggressiveness or sometimes, you know, slightly more overt communication about things need to be cleaned and prepared and done in the right way. I was never like abusive about it, but it was like this energy that I became aware that I could aim towards good and productive things to issues of injustice, or I could put it into nitpicky things, um, which didn't give me the same level of satisfaction, but still gave me something emotionally. So for me personally, this is this was one example that was pretty significant. And I can now reverse engineer this dynamic in the sense that if I notice I'm becoming, becoming more uptight about my office not being clean and tidy and just really kind of almost manically like, oh, I've got to get this sorted out. I've got to get this um, systematized and clean and organized and orderly. I, 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 I can step back and say, hold on. Dan, you know when you get like this, it's an indicator that you're stressed. It's an indicator that you need to chill out, pull back, reflect. So this is, you know, one one example from my own life of making the unconscious conscious and, and using a, a system, a personality system to do it. Another example from my own life, which is quite a simple one, but I found quite profound, was talking to a family friend who's a psychologist some years back and talking about how I was, I was feeling stressed at the time. And he was asking me why. And, you know, I didn't really know. So he took me through like a little process where we went one by one through all the different domains of my life 
and just checked in how I was going in that domain and if there was, you know, any issues there. How are you going with your wife? How are you going with your mum and your dad? Are there any issues there? Do you have, um, is there something going on with your friends or how are your finances? And you know, I sort of went through and I said, no, that's fine. No, no, not really. And he said, oh, what about work? And I said, oh, work's fine. But I mean, I'm waiting up, I'm waiting on an email back from my from my boss. I sent that to them before the weekend and and now it's been a number of days and I'm still waiting to hear back and it's quite, like, this is an important thing. I need to know for my future work situation what her response is. And as soon as I said that to him, I realized, oh, this is like an unconscious stress. It's like a subtle burden that's just sitting there. I feel like I'm in limbo that I can't go backwards and I can't go forwards until I get a reply to this email. Now, this was a boss that I had just a fantastic relationship with. So there was no inherent issues there. But just the fact that there was, I'd sent a really important email and I hadn't yet gained, like got a reply from her, showed me that I started to realize, oh, this is an unconscious stress. And as soon as I became conscious of it, I was able to name it. And really, I didn't do much more. I just named it and acknowledged it. And a lot of that stress dissipated. And from memory, you know, I got an email not long after that and it was all good. So that's another little trick or tool that I wanted to leave with you because I thought, gosh, that was so simple, but so profound to just run an inventory on all the domains of your life and just check in and go, oh, how's this? How's that? You know, what's going on? And just check whether there's any stress there. And sometimes that will be enough to bring like an unconscious stress into your consciousness. Now, the last example I wanted to to give of this, which is also quite profound, is an example from my wife. And she said, I can let you know that she's happy for me to share this. And I'm hoping, I'm just trying to chase up a second microphone, but I'm hoping soon I'll be able to have her on as my first guest for the podcast. So this is a dynamic that, Caitlin and I worked out over Christmas time over maybe a two, possibly three year period. I think it was just a couple of Christmases. And what would happen around the time of Christmas was that Caitlin would get quite uh, emotional and sad and kind of more sensitive around the specifics of what we did at Christmas and how Christmas went and how Christmas operated. And it seemed quite left field because Caitlin's, you know, really patient and caring and quite flexible by nature but at Christmas time she seemed to become and you know she was reflecting on this herself that you know there was something else going on and I'm pretty sure it was the second Christmas that this happened all of a sudden we started to place together what was going on here we live in Australia but Caitlin's originally from Minnesota and back home in Minnesota she had a lot of Christmas, family Christmas traditions. There were certain things that they always did in the same order and in the same way. It was always snowy and cold, so she associate Christmas with snowy, cold weather and all those beautiful traditions that come with snow and a white Christmas. Now in Australia, we often go to the beach and without her extended family 
present, it was just a totally different dynamic. Now for me, tradition isn't all that important, but as we discussed and as we dug down onto what was going on, we started to realise just how important tradition was for Caitlin, and specifically Christmas tradition. And so she had these unconscious expectations about how things would go, that she didn't she didn't even know they were there, but then when the expectations weren't met, she became disappointed and frustrated and maybe angry, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. But once we started to piece it together and we realised, oh, hold on, you know, tradition is a real part of who you are. And when we look at your Myers-Briggs personality type, we can see that your type actually is quite orientated towards tradition. She's an ISFJ, for those that know the system already. So this was pretty massive. Firstly, not only did I start to realise that Caitlin has a impulse and a desire for tradition that I don't have, but also that this is inherent in her personality type. So it's not just a, a family thing that she's acquired, but it's actually quite inherent to who she is. And for me, that was fine. I thought, great, I'm, I'm not opposed to tradition. Let's, let's create and let's make some traditions. And so now we have a family tradition where, uh, as, as possible, we go to the beach every year for Christmas or for, for part of Christmas Day. And we're endeavouring with every year to add and create new traditions that we can have as a family. So yeah, that was another fairly recent example of through our communication and also looking at the Myers-Briggs personality system in this instance, we were able to work out what was going on and Caitlin was able to become conscious of, you know, some unconscious expectations that she held. And it just, it just saves so much potential pain and disappointment. I wouldn't say arguing because we don't, we don't tend to argue, but we do sort of talk backwards and forwards uh, until we get to the bottom of things. And, and this was just a, a real shortcut to starting to understand, oh, this makes absolute sense in the context of the larger story of who you are and how you're wired. And now we appreciate it. We go, oh, you like tradition and, you know, so let's do that. Let's let's value that. Let's make space in our life for tradition. So that's the few uh, concrete examples I wanted to bring today. Hopefully they were helpful and insightful for you. I'm always fascinated to hear stories from people about the ways in which they've grown and developed that and discovered unconscious impulses that were ruling and sometimes ruining their lives and becoming aware of those things and being able to move through those. I love to see people making the unconscious conscious through whatever means and seeing their lives enriched by that process and being able to be a better parent, a better brother, sister, better community member because they're operating more consciously. They're operating in a more intentional way rather than just out of these unconscious impulses and unconscious drives. So that's all I have for you today and I will speak to you next time on the Convergently Speaking podcast. Have a good day.